Amen. Thank you guys for leading us into worship again today. If you have your Bibles today, turn to John chapter 6. That will be our passage, John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at uh, quite a bit of the chapter today, but uh, I encourage you to follow along in, in the Word uh, if you have it. This is one of my favorite times of year. I have to admit, I am a uh, uh, basketball junkie, and I especially enjoy keeping up with uh, college basketball around tournament time. Uh, I guess it goes back, my love for basketball, to my days of playing big-time basketball, but uh, anyhow... Truthfully, I've never been very good at basketball. Height might have had something to do with that, but I do love March Madness, and I especially love it when Kentucky's doing so well. Uh, it, it's fun to to fill out the brackets, and it's fun to think about where they might end up and and how far they might get in the tournament. And I love to see how many games I can get right and root for as many underdogs as I can during the tournament. I just I really enjoy uh, th- this time of se- uh, of year. And one of the reasons I enjoy it is the pressure's different. Let's just face it. The pressure is different when you get into the tournament than it is when you're playing during the regular season. You know, you, Kentucky loses a game in regular season. We need about one day of therapy, but then we're usually okay. If they lose in the tournament time, man, we need six months of, you know, psychiatric care. You know, I mean, it's tough when this happens for, for a lot of basketball fans. Uh, but if you watch this tournament time, you know, you, you hear people say a statement over and over and over again. Uh, you'll watch the game. It's a tight game. Maybe a team that was supposed to dominate squeaks by and you hear Dickie V or somebody say, all that matters is they survive and advance. You know, you hear that almost every time in one of these type games. Now, truthfully, it's easier said than done. I've watched good teams struggle to get by lesser teams. You know, they shoot terribly, or, or maybe they get in foul trouble, or they come out a little bit flat. But, it, but if they win when it's over, the team will say in the post-game interview, man, all that ma- matters is we're moving on. That's all that matters. Today, I want to think about that concept. I want to think about the concept of surviving and advancing, but not how it relates to basketball. I want us to think about how, as Christians, we're called to do just that, to be faithful to the end. The Bible says in Revelation 2.10 that we are to be faithful unto death. And Jesus says he will give us the crown of life. Now I want you to know the devil wants nothing more than for you to stub your toe. He wants nothing more than for you to give up and to dishonor Jesus. But it's our calling to survive his opposition and advance with the kingdom of God. But unfortunately it seems that so many people get knocked out along the way. Maybe as a kid, a young girl gives her heart and life to Jesus and gets baptized in the local church. And for a few years, she attends the neighborhood church. But then later in life, she's just straight away. Or or, or maybe that young family is trying to follow Christ, but then dad's job is relocated and and the family doesn't place a priority on faith. And it's simply not talked about much in their home and they don't get connected to a local body and Or a teenager goes off to college and they're on fire for God. They were in a youth ministry and they're on fire for God and they go to that college. But the freedom that they have in college leads them to not only fall out of fellowship, but even question the validity of their faith. Did you know that the dropout rate of teenagers who are in a youth group 
when they go to college is 88% of them will drop out of church. Staggering. That standing next to a statistic about pastors, did you know that 57% of pastors who are called to the ministry and stand before people and preach will drop out of ministry before they reach their 10-year of service mark? Did you know that the average Kentucky Baptist church has 26% of people on their church roll who have not attended once in the last 10 years? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a statistic. I, I don't want to be one of those folks who, who, who give up and fall away and drop out. I want to survive in advance. And I've often thought to myself, man, that would have been so much easier to make it till death if I would have walked with Jesus. You know, if I, if I had walked with him during his lifetime, it would have been so much easier to, to stay the course. But truthfully, if you'd have been around Jesus before he was 30 years old, chances are you wouldn't even recognize that there was anything special about him. He was a normal child learning a normal trade, and everybody just knew him as Joseph's son. And to us, there's no other name like Jesus. We sing it, it gives chill bumps to us. But, but to them, Jesus was like Joseph Smith, you know, John Doe. It was just a, another name. It was nothing except a normal name in Israel at that time. But when he turned 30 and he was baptized by John, everything changed. People realized there was something special about him. And when he began to teach, it was different. He was fun to listen to. He wasn't boring like the people who taught at the temple. And, and he made so much sense. He wasn't simply offering a set of laws or pleas for money. And he seemed to be true. And his words weren't burdensome. He seemed to be for the people. And, and, and then he began to go from village to village and start teaching, not only in the temple, but all around the countryside. And, and, and this movement started. People began to flock to him. There was only a few those first few months, but then after a while, his ministry just took off. And at one point in his ministry, we learned that there were fifteen to 20,000 people who were just kind of like this traveling carnival who were going with Jesus wherever he went. If he went into the wilderness, they went into a wilderness. If he went into a city, they went into a city. This, this throng followed Jesus, and, and they, they would camp out. They'd crowd around homes. They'd listen as the religious leaders tried to trip him up, and they were amazed at how easily he just kind of swatted them away with his, with his responses. If he went into the desert, they followed him there as well. And everything's going great, but then something happened. Opinion starts to waver. And people started to leave. And truthfully, many people got knocked out uh, of the game. In fact, in one chapter, John chapter 6, we are going to see that Jesus' crowds go from thousands to a handful in 24 hours. Uh, John 6 verse 66 says, From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Now, you'd think that something bad must have happened, right? You know, uh, he, he made a political gaffe, and he said something really stupid, and some people said, oh, we don't want to that. Uh, or he failed to heal somebody. Somebody was brought to him with a real need, and Jesus wasn't able to heal, and people said, see, we told you it was smoke and mirrors. Or, or you would think that, 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 that maybe the, the Romans said, listen, if you 
quit, keep following him, we're going to crush you. Quit following him. You'd think that something like that must have happened. But truthfully, it's nothing like that at all. This particular event of them leaving doesn't start on a bad day. It starts on a great day uh, in John chapter 6. In fact, in John chapter 6, we find the greatest miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus found. We touched on this one time in the book of uh, Matthew, but I want us to really dive into it today in the book of John. It's the feeding of 5,000. Notice verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing, and they saw how he was healing the sick. I don't know about you, but I'd love to have witnessed just one miracle, but these people saw multiple miracles. They saw signs. They saw healings. They saw miracles. And so they, would, they were flocking to him, and I understand. I probably would have too. Wouldn't, I'd want to see and, and they were following him. But uh, the, the, the crowd is, is watching this show, but then normal life starts happening. Verse 3 says, Jesus goes up onto a mountain, and he sits down with the disciples to pray. Maybe they're tired. Maybe have, it's been a long day. And Jesus decides that they need some rest, so he goes up onto the mountain to pray. And, and the interesting thing in, about this is not all of the versions say what happens next exactly the same way. I think they're seeing the same story from different perspectives. But, but Matthew tells us that when evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is a desert. I mean, there's no place for us to get food. We, we need to send these folks away. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. We can't scavenge. We can't make this work. Send them away so that they can buy food for themselves. Well, this is where the story gets really rich. Jesus tells them in Matthew 14, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You, you can do this. You, you, you just take care of them. And then back to John. Let's pick back up in John. We'll be here the rest of the day. Philip looks at Jesus. Uh, or Jesus looks at Philip and, and he, he, he sees this huge crowd and he says, Philip, where, where do you think we can get them food? You know, where, where do you think we could do this? Now, the question is where, and Philip immediately goes into how much. He was Baptist, you know, and he says, listen, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for everybody to have a little. Even if we had 200 days wages and bought cheap bread, it wouldn't be enough for everybody just to get a morsel. This doesn't work out. While this is going on, the Bible says in verse 8 that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, has been looking around. He said, well, you know, okay, but there is a boy here who has some fish and some bread. That's it. That's all we found. What are they among so many? Jesus says in verse 10, had the people sit down, and there was plenty of grass in this place. And so they sat down, and there was about 5,000 men. And then Jesus uh, took the loaves and gave thanks, and he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish. And he gave them as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told the disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing's wasted. And so they collected, and they filled up 12 baskets of leftovers. And, and, and no wonder this next verse is there. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this is the prophet. 
We've been talking about Malachi. Remember, they were looking for the Messiah to come, and there was a messenger who would come before him, and they were saying, this is him. He's the one. This is the prophet who was to come into the world. We found him. Now, three things happen, and this is one of them, that, that tell us why the people left Jesus. Why would you go from everybody high-fiving and saying, did you see what happened? To everybody being hungry and now full and leftovers being toted out. Why would you go from that to many of his disciples left him in less than 24 hours? Number one, they wanted Jesus to become king and he said no. Verse 15, therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. For years they believed that this Messiah would come and this Messiah would fix all their earthly problems. And now in Jesus they have the perfect candidate, but this wasn't Jesus' plan. He wasn't there to be a king, he was there to be their savior. And so they're, not, they're frustrated with Jesus because they want him to be a king and he slips off. And so they have what, and I know they're Baptists because they have a meeting outside of the meeting. Okay? They got together in groups and they started talking about this and Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were conspiring. And so Jesus gets in a boat and he goes over to the other side of the sea and that's another miracle and we won't go into the details of that today but needless to say Jesus can tread water. But verse 24 says, When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were still in the area, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Why did the crowd follow Jesus? Why did they follow in your mind? What do you think? They wanted more food. It was breakfast time. You know, you're up to bat, Jesus. The crowd followed Jesus because they wanted to produce more bread. And then verse 25, listen to what it says. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? You never come straight out and say, where's the bread? You know, how's your family? Kids doing all right? Where's the bread? You know, then Jesus answered, I assure you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And then listen to verse 27. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Jesus knows what their heart is really after, and I want to tell you, it's not hard to look in our society and see people who are chasing after temporary stuff. Bigger houses, corner offices, fancier cars, faster shooting guns. And Jesus' advice, okay, yeah, those things are, yeah, all right, fine. But don't waste your life living for things that don't matter. In verse 28, but what can we do to perform the works of God? They don't get it. They don't understand. They're blind to what Jesus is teaching. What they're asking is, can you show us how to make bread? Can you show us what we need to do? What can we do to perform these types of miracles? And Jesus says in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. I didn't give you bread simply to fill your bellies, Jesus is teaching. I gave you bread so that you would believe in God, believe in what I'm telling you about God. And then listen to this. To me, this is one of the most amazing verses in the entire New Testament. Confusing, amazing verses. Verse 30. 
they start to speak again. All right, you want us to believe in God. Well, what sign are you going to do to prove that we should believe in you? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, he just fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable. I mean, surely, surely that's big enough. What are you, what are you going to do? You know, what, come on. Listen to me. No matter how many miracles some people see, they will not believe. Their minds are trapped on things that will die with them. Verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're almost like goadening. Moses came through with daily bread. Where are you at, Jesus? It's almost like they're saying, hey, we want a meal card, and we, don't, we double dog dare you. And Jesus responds in verse 32. I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. I love that. Moses didn't give you that. The Father in heaven gives real bread. Verse 33, he says, For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said, I'm I'm real bread. And they still don't get it. And listen to what they say in verse 34. Well, all right, well, give us this bread. Their mind doesn't get it. It's almost like they're saying, okay, we don't care white or wheat. Just give us bread. And then verse 35, Jesus responds with much more patience than I would have. And he says, I'm the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. Listen, I gave you bread that is temporal, and you woke up and you were starving. If you will trust in me, I will give you satisfaction that will not wear off. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. What Jesus is teaching here is that knowing him is more valuable than finding daily bread. He says, you will never find anything like me, so get to know me. And here's where things get sticky. You see, they really didn't want Jesus. The reason they left Jesus is not only because he wouldn't be a king, but he wouldn't give them the stuff that they wanted. They quit following Jesus because he wouldn't provide earthly blessings. And they get frustrated. Verse 41. Therefore, the Jews start complaining. Hey, How dare him say he's the bread that comes down from heaven? And Jesus says, I'm better than bread. My bread is spiritual. And then he goes into this complex teaching. And I'm not going to break it down verse by verse, but it's pretty complex teaching. And there's been a lot of confusing uh, 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 commentary through the year on this passage. But but in this passage, he says, look, if you want to follow me, You're going to have to die like I have to die. And you're going to have to drink my blood. And you're going to have to eat my flesh. And you're going to have to live the life that I live. And that's what he taught throughout his ministry. You want to follow me? Take up your cross. You want to follow me? You're going to have to die that death. You want to follow me? You might not have a place to lay your head down at night. If you want to follow me, it could get tough. They said, we're not following you for tough. We're following you for bread. And Jesus says, wait a minute. That's not why I'm here. And he lays out these teachings, and what we find is Jesus' teachings weren't acceptable to them. That's tough. In fact, that's what they say in verse 60. Listen to what they say. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching's hard. Who can accept this? This is complicated. 
Jesus wouldn't do what they thought he should do. He wouldn't give them what they, what they wanted, and he taught them in a way that didn't tickle their ears. Church, hear me closely. Not every crowd centered around Jesus believes in him. This one sure didn't. They wanted stuff. They wanted their way. But this crowd checked out. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and said, not us. You see, at one point, they all believed there was benefit to following Jesus, but when the benefit was no longer evident, the people faded away. And my warning to you today is many who say they're Christian have a tendency to do the exact same thing. If they need a prayer answered, they go to church. If they want to get that job, they give an offering. If they want to win a game, they pray before. If their kids are in a mess, they go to Sunday school. If their finances are upside down, they sow their seed. And they do these things, and they look at God as if to say, Okay, buddy, you're up. Do your thing. And you know what grieves me? Some preachers are even proclaiming this message like it's good news. Come to God, push the button, and out comes your desires. And they say to God, yeah, and, and so people say to God, yeah, I want you, but all I ever hear people talking about is what God can give them. And his stuff. And it comes in lots of flavors. Come to God and he'll heal you of all your sickness. Does God always heal? Really? Really? Give God your dime and he'll turn it into a dollar. Really? God wants you to have your best life now. But then they define the best life now as the best parking space and, and favor in your... Really? No wonder these pseudo-gospels are drawing crowds. But I want to tell you, when the heat comes, you'll watch the dispersion. We all have to be on guards and watch our hearts because these pseudo-gospels are dangerous. Because if the money runs out and the healing doesn't come and the happiness isn't constant, disillusionment sets in. And then we think it's God's fault that we have no joy and we check out. Now, some of you might be thinking, in their honest thoughts, some of you might be thinking, won't God give me my dream? Maybe. Maybe not. But you'll have treasure. A treasure that doesn't fade away. Won't God keep me healthy? Maybe. Maybe not. And let's just be honest. There have been lots of saints who loved God who have not been healthy on the day that they died. Won't God make me financially wealthy? Maybe. Maybe not, but you'll have something better. You'll have God, and there's nothing more beautiful than God, and there's nothing more precious than the gospel. And look what having it does. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen has got up and proclaimed Jesus boldly. I mean, this young kid gets up and says, man, Jesus is like no other. He's the only way to be saved. And the Jewish people stoned him to death right there. And instead of saying, where are you, God? This isn't how it's supposed to work. He looks up into heaven and he sees God and a glow lights up his face. And he says, I see the, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Paul and Silas are thrown in prison for, for setting a demonic girl free. And they're praising the Lord in prison while the bars are still shut and release doesn't seem possible. Peter and John are beaten 
for preaching the gospel. And Acts 4 says that they went back to the church with bruises and, and, and scars all over them. And, and the church praised God that they could be beaten for the name of Jesus. Boy, that sounds just like come to Jesus and your life gets easier. Doesn't it? What's the difference then? Why do some people hang on and some people let go? And the difference is some people are in love with Jesus and some people are in love with his stuff. People fall away from Jesus because they hadn't fallen in love with Jesus. That's it. Did any of you ever know a kid growing up who had everything? You know, you had that. And remember how you wanted to go over to their house and play? And how much fun it was going to be? And, and they were your friend and all, but you loved their stuff because their stuff was fun. Did you ever notice how they didn't think their stuff was as great as you did? You remember? You know, you, they had the, you know, the new uh, Nintendo game and you were, you were still on level three and they had already beat the whole game and they just didn't care anymore. Eh, yeah, yeah, there's stuff hidden under there. Da, da, da. You didn't care. They didn't care. Why? Because it was just stuff to them. They were looking for relationship and friendship. Did you ever have a friend who you felt like only wanted to come to your house to use your stuff? That swimming pool, that trampoline, that new game? This is the way we are with God a lot. He wants a relationship with us like a friend has with a friend. And he gives, he gives us this great world to enjoy. And here's the problem. We treat our Creator and our Savior like the kid who's got stuff. We treat him like all oh, we're interested in is your stuff, God. He turns to Simon Peter, and he says, do you want to go away too? He turns to the 12. Do you want to go away as well? And I don't know why that hurts me. When I read that, that's just like raw. I mean, it hurts, painful. Can you imagine your best friend turning to you, and your wife turning to you and say, you want to leave me because? Here Jesus turns to the disciples and says, you want to leave too? And Simon Peter responds and says, where else can we go? Listen to what he says. Lord, where are we going to go to? And then he says, we know you have the words of eternal life. We're much more interested in eternity. Notice what he says uh, immediately following. You have the words. You've got them. Real stuff. And we believe in you, Jesus. And I love what he says. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Guys, I wish I could explain this, and I don't even know how, but there's something really beautiful about Jesus just because of Jesus. There's something beautiful about sacrifice. There's something beautiful about incarnation. There's something beautiful about him coming to us for us. And you know the hard part about describing how beautiful Jesus is? is It's internal. The beauty of Jesus is hard to describe because it's something that we find within. How many of you like peppermint? Anybody like peppermint? Yeah? I'll throw you all peppermint. If I were to tell you, how, 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 do you how, how do you tell somebody what peppermint tastes like? That's not easy. You know, it's kind of, 
kind of a mixture of like, you know, like winter green and hollow. I don't know what the, <sighs> kind of takes your breath away a little bit, but yet it's got a sweetness to it. But yet it, it's hard to describe what peppermint tastes like to somebody. So the best way to describe what peppermint's like is what? Say, here, take it. You see, because it's internal and something you know on your own, it's hard to describe, but here's the good news. Because it's internal, nothing can take it away. You can't take away my understanding of what peppermint tastes like because I've had it inside of me. You can't take away what it means to be in love with Jesus because I already know it's inside of me. Hardships come, yeah, but man, I still know. No bread, no worries. I have something better inside. Now, why do you think that, why do some people think he's beautiful and others don't? I'm going to tell you something that the Bible says, and I'm not going to leave it out, but the Bible says because God's done a work in their heart. He's helped them to understand. I don't know how this works out in the grand scheme of things, but in verse 44 he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent him draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Listen, you can't be saved unless God does a work in your heart. We are dead in our sin, and he does a work. And he, he speaks truth to you, and then he says, try me and see if I'm good. Seek me with all your heart. Let me love you. I encourage you today to open up your heart to the beauty of Jesus. He's knocking on your heart's door and says, I'm better than bread. I'm better than your job. I'm better than your health. I'm better than your family. Because I'll be around even if all of those things aren't. So I encourage you to open your heart to the beauty of Jesus today. And then believers, I would ask you to ask yourself, do I love God or do I just love his stuff? See, I'm praying that we can find a church that will survive in advance. We're not looking for a church that's here when, oh, it's fun, and gone when it's hard. We're not looking for followers who, when it's easy, they follow. We're looking for people who know what the church is really all about. And it's about the one who gave his life so that we could have eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take these words and you would use them. I pray, Father God, that you would I ask God that you would speak to a heart today. And Lord, whether they make an outward decision or an inward decision, I pray, Father God, that you would you would convince a heart today that Jesus is more beautiful than anything this world has to offer. And God, I pray that you would save that dead soul and Lord, that you would give them the ability to speak repentance and faith. Lord, I'm so sorry when I get sidetracked by stuff. Lord, I pray that you would... uh, Encourage your people today to be faithful to the end. 
In Jesus' name, amen.